0: We're glad to have some people back at church. I would say to all those who are online, come back. Uh, We're going back to work. We're in our grocery stores. We're moving around, and we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. As our pastor has already said, next week we're going back full, full breath. So come and worship with us. It's an amazing, amazing experience to be back together in the house of God. Most of you recognize this man. This is Keith Garvin. He's one of the anchor two of NBC here in Houston. And uh, he and his family have been a member of our church for about eight years. His wife, Lisa, and three of their daughters are here. The fourth daughter is a nurse and she has to work today. And I just thought that as a newsman who's been in the middle of all of this SOS moment, it'd be a wonderful time for a man of God. He teaches a men's Bible class in our church and is a leader in many areas. I thought it would be timely to have him come and give us an insight that perhaps we desperately need at this moment. welcome. A man that used to be a college football player, Long time. But, but went bad and went in the news business, and uh, and so we're so grateful to have this, my dear friend and brother, share with us today, Keith Garvin. Be at home.
1: Yes, Thank you, thank you so much, Dr. Young. Uh, Such an honor to be here. Great to be here, uh, church family, especially at uh, the mothership known as Woodway. Uh, Very, very happy to be here. You know, sitting here just a few minutes ago, it hit me. Uh, My wife and I are gonna be celebrating our 24th wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks. I need to get something. I need to, you know, go to Amazon uh, or whatever. But, you know, anyone who's been married, you know, for five minutes, you know that there were good times and bad times. You have ups and you have downs, and sometimes you get lit up when you make a mistake. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I came home from you know working out or something, and, and uh, I got home, and Lisa was in the kitchen waiting for me and, with three dishes in the sink, just three dishes. She was very, very unhappy, unhappy to the point where it was like a dragon unleashing fire and, and, and I didn't know what to do. She talked about these dishes, and so right away, I started cleaning up these dishes, and uh, I, I, you know and she just wouldn't. It, the, the anger did not cease. And I said, babe, I just don't understand. I mean, I'm washing the dishes. What's, what's the problem with, with the dishes? And she says, it's not about the dishes. So I grabbed the broom and, and, and I start sweeping up as fast as I can and she's still not happy. She's still upset and, and I'm thinking, my goodness. So I, you know, what am I gonna do? I grab a rag, I start wiping down the counters and everything else and she's still very upset. And I said, hey babe, I, it, I, I've washed the dishes. What's the problem? And she says, it's not about the dishes. So then she goes upstairs and she knew I eventually had to go upstairs because I had to get ready for work so it was a, a, a trap was laid for me. <laughs> and so I, I go upstairs and she's still not upset. She's still talking about the dishes and I'm thinking I've straightened up stuff that doesn't need to be straightened up and you're still upset. I don't understand what's the problem. And she says, it's not about the dishes. So I did the smart thing in that situation. I shut my mouth and started listening to her. And in the course of 10 15 minutes, she started to share her heart with me, how, you know, the, the dishes were just emblematic of, of it, her, in her eyes, I wasn't paying enough attention to household chores. I wasn't paying enough attention to the household and and not enough attention, attention to the girls and to her. And, you know, we wanted to put flowers in the backyard, but it really wasn't about just putting flowers in the backyard. It was about the amount of time that we spend together going to the store to get the flowers. And you come home and the amount of time you spend planning the flowers, being together. And what she was trying to tell me, is that I wasn't putting my focus enough on the family. The dishes, were it wasn't about the dishes, it was about this frustration that had build, been building up for months and months and months, and the dishes were just the, the cap, the spark that blew the, the top off the whole thing. It wasn't about the dishes, it was about all these, these pent up feelings and, and, and feeling neglected and, and, and not being, being, being look, looked at. When I look at what we've seen in the last two weeks in this country, uh, the protests and uh, some of that, a very small amount of that has, has turned into some great violence, but, but, but violence, uh, it, that it's not reflective of, the, of everyone who is, is out there protesting and marching, but we've, we're seeing anger, we're seeing frustration. And the, the, the cap, the spark that blew off the top on all of that was that video that so many of us have seen from about two weeks ago on Memorial Day when George Floyd, a Houston native, lost his life at the hands of, of four officers. Uh, and, 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 and that was just those that video, those were the dishes. But but what 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 those what happened with that video, what that video did was it exposed just again years and years and, and generations and decades and even centuries. Of some stuff that has been boiling beneath the surface for so so very long, and and we have not dealt with. I believe we as a as a church, uh, and, and there's something different about this moment because we've seen the videos before, we, we we've seen the protests, we've seen the marches, we've seen the violence, but but but. You know, in my business, I have been to a lot of bad scenes. I've been to murder scenes, I've been to car accidents, I've, I've seen people who were hit by trains, uh, not to be too graphic or anything. I've seen a lot of stuff, but until I saw that video two weeks ago, I would never seen a, a person die in front of me. I've never seen another human being take their last breath in front of me. And, and I frankly was heartbroken. And and I know that there are millions upon millions of people in this country and around this world who were heartbroken as well, because the response has been so different. And and I believe that when it, it comes to the issue of race and racism, the church, not Second Baptist, not Dr. Young, I'm talking about the body of Christ, the reason we continue as a country and a world to get this issue wrong is because in the church, we're called to take leadership on all of these issues the church hasn't dealt with these issues properly and effectively as well. It's almost as if we thought it's gonna go away or we ignore it or we, you know, it, it's too tough of a subject to tackle. But God has called us to tackle those issues. And, and, and why? Because when you look at the issue of race and you, uh, racism, it is clear and biblically without a doubt it is, it is sin. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, Dr. Young did a sermon called The Tale of Two Cities. It was built, it was based on a. Uh, uh, Ch- Charles, uh, the author—forgetting author's name. Say it again. Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens. Yeah, I have the first name right. Okay, Charles Dickens. Yes, a novel from the eight, 1859, I believe it was. And doc- but Dr. Sur- Dr. Young's sermon was about the Tale of Two Cities in Houston, which is which is the most diverse city in the entire country, more cultures and ethnicities than any city, including New York. But but in this one city, there are essentially two cities. On one side. Uh, you have those who are prospering, and when it comes to their homes and their housing they're, they're no, no no one's life is perfect, but they have they have the housing they need they have their kids are being educated where they want them to be educated uh their 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 bills are getting paid for the most part on time. When they think about plans, they can plan a year out a two two years out, ten years out. They are living the American dream. but then you have this other city within the same city you have this other city, this other group of folks who they are not living the American dream. They, when it comes to their housing, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to opportunities, when it comes to plans, my goodness, they're not thinking about a year or three years out, they're trying to get through tonight. And they not only are not living the American dream, they are living an American nightmare. And so just like when it comes to the issue of, of race and racism, you have those two cities, those two groups, when it comes to the issue of race and racism, I believe that you also have two columns, if you will, two groups of people, two camps, two groups of thought. Yeah, there's, there's some people in the middle, but you know when you, when, all you have to do is turn on cable news and, and see that it's the loudest, most extreme voices that usually get the most attention, right? So, but but let, let's, just, let's just say there are these two main camps when it comes to the issue of race and racism. This one camp over here says, come on, racism, that doesn't exist anymore. You're just making that up. It's just a crutch that you're using. Maybe you want to give the, the government to give you more stuff. My gosh, you had a black president for eight years. What more do you want? That's that, that's, that's that one camp. The, the problem with that way of thinking is that it's negating the biblical truth that racism is a sin. Whenever you look at another individual who was made in the image of God just like you were, and and that for any reason, but for the purposes of this conversation, we're talking about race. If you ever look at another individual, and because of their skin color, their ethnicity, or their culture, you look, you dislike them, you look down on them, you demean them, you make fun of, you have an irrational fear of, that is the very definition of sin. And, And so to say that that sin doesn't exist anymore It just denies all biblical logic because there is no sin that will ever be fully eradicated on this earth until Jesus comes back and puts the devil in hell forever. There's no sin. And so if racism is a sin, how's it ever going to go away? Of course, it's always going to be here. Of course it's going to rear its ugly head in people's lives in a lot of bad ways. I'm an African-American male. I'll be 50 years old in a couple of months. I was raised by my mother and my grandmother, and I can tell you they raised me to not consider another person's color. There, there wasn't an issue of race or racism from those two ladies who raised me. Uh, my my grandmother, who had a, she's the most influential person in my life ever. ever. Uh, she passed away at the age of 95 a number of years ago. She's the one who led me to Christ at the age of seven. And I remember they did tell me that you're you're gonna go through life, you're going to deal with issues, ups and downs for all sorts of reasons. And there will be people who are gonna judge you because of your skin color. But you are a child of God. You are wrapped up in his love and his grace and his mercy. And at the end of the day, there's no man or woman regardless of their position, their power, their privilege, who can thwart God's will in your life. I can thank, but I can Having that, having that belief and that knowledge still did not shield me from dealing with racism from the time I was a, a very young boy. It, it's, it's nowhere near as overt as it used to be, but I, I've had some very overt situations, many in my life. I've had some covert situations in my life. It does exist. And For people who are in this camp to say that it doesn't exist anymore, do you think the devil is going to ever take a weapon to divide people off the table? He, he, he doesn't do that. He uses sin as a weapon, and he tries to divide the world and God's people. Is he gonna look in the Houston Chronicle this morning and say, wow, in the United States of America, they have reduced the divorce rate by 10% in the last 15 years. Well, I guess I can't divide families anymore. I gotta move on to go do something else. No, if, if, if by that logic, if the devil sees that we humans are starting to get it right, he's going to try that much harder to divide families. So we, we could, we, yeah, okay, we had a, a black president for eight years, and maybe that was some sign of progress, but the devil looks at that, and he wants to jump in and divide even more. Racism does exist because it's a sin, and it can exist in very powerful ways, very detrimental ways in people's lives. That camp is dead wrong. Then you have this other camp over here. Racism, 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 my goodness, there's nothing I can do with my life because of racism. Everything that bad that happens to me is because of racism. I can't get a job, I can't be educated, I can't take care of my kids, I can't do anything. Those people, they look at me this way because of my skin color. I got cut off in traffic because they're picking on me because of my skin color. And, and, and I hear that from, from people, African Americans mainly, in my case, who are, I'm talking about born again believers in Jesus Christ. And the problem with that line of thinking is, you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You 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 are sealed. There is there. there, You know we we do live in this world where there's going to be sin. Uh, You will be impacted. You will be affected. But there are some people who, if you allow a sin, any sin, but we're talking about racism. If you allow any sin to overwhelm you, and if you give it more power. Then you give God Almighty, you are idolizing a sin. Uh, you know, in uh, Genesis, before uh, God changes his name, uh, Abraham's name to Abram, he says, Abram, do not be afraid, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Uh, In the, the book of Isaiah, he tells us through the prophet Isaiah, have no fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You belong to me. That means anyone, every single human being who's ever been created in this world, before God even said, let there be light, he had a plan and a purpose and a will for every single one of us, regardless of your skin color. So this camp is dead wrong as well because there's no sin that could ever overwhelm the grace and the truth truth and the power and the mercy of our Heavenly Father. So this camp is dead wrong, that camp is dead wrong. They're both dead wrong because they are looking at race in the wrong way. So many people believe that race is a is a, is a social issue or political. It, it Sin can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. It manifests itself in, in, in politically, economically, socially, criminal justice system, but you will never ever, ever be able to use a social solution, a political solution, or an economic solution to solve a sin problem. The only thing that could ever solve a sin problem is a biblical, godly solution. So how do we do it? How are we called to handle it? Well, first off, we we have to, with boldness, wrapped in, in mercy and grace and truth, we have to call out sin when we see it, any sin. That's what we're called to do with any sin. We call it out when we see it, we recognize it. We don't coddle it, we don't play with sin, we don't ignore it. There's a very clear theme throughout the Bible that, that God does not want us to play with or hide or cover up sin. He wants us to expose, he wants us to put his light on it so it can be exposed. So you, you address it, you point it out lovingly and with grace and then, and, and then you deal with it. And then at some point, you, you have to act on it to make sure that it is, it is rooted out. Uh, just uh, this past Tuesday, uh, there was a many of you may have been watching or uh, you heard about it. There was a big uh, 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 march and a rally downtown in uh, for, for George Floyd, and they uh, started at two o'clock. They marched. They started at uh, Discovery Green and, and marched down to uh, to, the, to City Hall. Sixty thousand people. Uh, they expressed themselves. Uh, they express their constitutional right to to rally and to march and protest. Uh, and, and by the way, um, if you, um, for anyone who, if you show up to a, a protest and you walk away with a flat screen TV, you weren't there for the protest. You were there for the TV. <laughs> um, that's that. You know, they're, they're, and and no matter no matter what your cause is, no matter how much pain you're in or how much you are hurting no matter how passionate you are, you never ever have the right to destroy any property or hurt any other individual. But like I saw with this crowd, about 60,000 people showed up for this rally. And at about 530 or so, 545, about 59,500 or 600 of them had gone home. I even ran into one of my high school buddies who I graduated with uh, and Brian, uh, High, uh, class of 88 guy named Willie Crumpton called him Crump you know he he was wearing a mask so I did I didn't recognize him at first and uh, we we caught up uh, you know said hey man you know yeah he was down there with his son he introduced me to his son and then Willie said after we caught up for about 10 minutes he said hey man well we're getting out of here because there's some people a few blocks away and they're crazy they look like they want to start some trouble and we're gone so okay we'll see you later we'll talk soon man The majority of the crowd did the same thing my my friend Willie Crumpton did. They got out of there. But unfortunately, there was a remnant of folks, four or 500 or so, who decided to stay. And many of them were there to cause trouble. So if you know downtown Houston, we're in front of the George R.R. Brown, and Avenida de las Americas runs here, and then McKinney is here, and uh, HPD has a wall of officers. Uh, Lining this way and and more officers, probably in total about 350 or so officers. And so the people who were there at the end of this protest for hours, they were blocking the street. So HPD, every 15, 20 minutes, they would get on loudspeaker, they would say, this is no longer a lawful assembly because you were blocking the roadway. Uh, We are asking you to leave get on the sidewalk or go into the park. If you fail to do so, you're subject to arrest. If you resist arrest, you were subject to, you know, can't remember what the term was, you know, some advanced takedown measures, basically. Just every 20 minutes or so, they would say that. And also, every about 15 or 20 minutes, people from the crowd would start lofting water bottles uh, toward the police officers, and uh, just, just, just lofting them, and, and every now and then, you know, you'd see about four or five bottles, and then it'd go away, and, uh, and they would pick, kick up about another 20 minutes. Well, at one point, coming from McKinney onto Avenida de los Americas, there were three vehicles: a, a fire SUV, fire, uh, HFD fire vehicle, and two DPS troopers. And they were trying to turn. They had their lights on, so I assume they were going to—they re- were responding to something—and they turn and they're trying to turn, but but these kids are blocking the street. So one guy just keeps walking in front, like he's daring them to hit him, and his friends actually grab him out of the way a couple of times. They finally get through, the, they let the fire truck through, but when the DPS troopers try to go through, a couple of people run up with their posters, their signs, and they, put, they, they cover the windshield and they cover the driver's side so they can't see. HPD says this and says, okay, this can't happen. They move a few officers, officers up to get those folks out of the way so the trucks can turn, and as they turn and they go, water bottles, just dozens of water bottles just start flying all over the place. People are yelling and screaming and uh, there, I was looking right at a guy, he was in a red, red T-shirt, and you know most people had been arcing those bottles, and so you, know, you could see them coming and get out of the way or knock them out of the way. Well, he took this one bottle and he threw it like a fastball directly about 15, 20 yards away from one of the officers and hit him in his uh, face guard. Now, and, and that's when HPD realized, okay, they're stepping this up a little bit, we need to step up our response. and so things got really really tense and there was the one of the people who was there one of the officers who was there was assistant executive chief of police troy Fenner. he's second in command to uh chief acevedo he's there on the ground with his men and women uh, acevedo was several blocks away with with other hpd members out there with their people in the middle of this as well I've interviewed uh, Chief Fenner a number of times, great guy, good man. He's the kind of guy, he's straight to the point. You ask him a question, he's gonna answer it fully. He doesn't, you know, dance around, he gives you a full answer. And he's, he's a really good guy, really nice guy. And I'd seen him walking around and, you know, had said he- hello to him, and, and we'd talked to him a, a few times while we were out there. Well, when, when all that started happening, when those bottles went flying and that one officer got hit in the face, uh, I know Chief Fenner walked up to me and he said, Hey Keith, hey man, we're gonna need you to move to the side. We're gonna need you to get on the sidewalk because we're about to take back the street. And so I did that, and I'm here this morning to tell you my dear brothers and sisters, my friends in Christ, it is time for us, the body of Christ, to take back the street in the name of our Heavenly Father. It's time to do it. And, and, and related to this issue, how exactly do we do it? Well, first, we have to act and we can't ignore. We have to acknowledge. The first way we act is we get on our knees, we get on our faces, and we pray to God, we ask him for healing, we ask him for oneness in this country. And, and, and then another way we can do it is we have to start building relationships. I mean, you know, Jesus, you know, when he, he met the, the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, he, he Jews and Samaritans, you know, hated each other. And, and, and he, he, he met this woman at the well and, and he spoke to her. And you remember what her response was like, how are you a, a Jew? Why, how could you ask me a Samaritan for a, a drink of water? How are we, we're called to spread the gospel to the entire world, to all the nations, every color, every nationality. Do you think people would be a little more conducive to hearing the gospel if, if those of us who were called to be the hands and the feet of God? Do you think people may, you know, because only God can save, but he uses us to, to, to enact his will. He uses us to plant the seeds of salvation. And, and, and do you think we might be a little more successful with that if, if, if we could sit down with people who don't look like us and we don't know and at least have a cup of water with them? I, I, at least have a cup of coffee or lunch? How are we ever gonna get to, to know people? How are we ever gonna get to know people well enough to be able to, to, to reach them? And, and if, if we don't even take the time to sit down and have a cup of water or a cup of coffee, personal relationships are so, so very important. One of my my dearest friends, he's a guy named Jonathan, lives in Dallas now. Uh, He's uh, the kind of guy Jonathan is, is when we had Harvey uh, hit here, Uh, we had Harvey hit, he came down and uh, he said, hey, I just wanna help out. And he came down in his truck uh, with his friends, uh, got him connected with somebody who was attending second at the time they were just loading for days they were loading uh, water in their truck and they were getting it out and and helping people and they were mucking houses uh it, that's, he just came down on his own you know uh, so met him about 17 years ago we were going to church same church in northern virginia in the dc area and we hit it off right away. i was raised in Bryan, college station he's an aggie we had an instant connection and um our we our families went to church together we broke bread we were in men's bible study together we went uh, to rwanda twice on a, a men's mission trip i mean we we got to serve the lord together and we, he's just my guy i mean i just i just love him to death he's just a true blue friend well uh, and he's he lives in dallas his job brings him to houston every now and then so about two or three times a year he'll call me and uh we'll have uh, breakfast while he's in town i've gone up to dallas and had lunch with his family and uh one year just a couple of years ago we were having breakfast just he and I and he says you know he's talking about his one of his daughters you know he says Sarah Grace I'm so glad the way we're raising her so glad uh, that you know she, she she doesn't worry about someone's color she could care less what someone what someone's ethnicity is her favorite teacher he just happens to be you know African American guy who she loves he goes to church with us and we're so glad we're raising her that way because Keith I wasn't raised that way and I was like, really, you know, and he goes on to explain, he said, yeah, you know, when I was raised, I, I, just ra- I was raised to be racist. I didn't like black people. He said, as a matter of fact, I hated black people. When I was at A&M, he was in the court, and this is not reflective of a and or, or the court, Just I'm just telling you, giving you his story as he gave it to me. He says, when I was on campus and I would see interracial couples, it would make me nauseous. He said uh when i would be with my buddies and we'd be drinking and whatever he said i never attacked anybody i never hit anybody but i would say the most vile things to african americans he said i would uh i would tell the most vile jokes that you could imagine but i got out of college i was looking for a job and i wasn't hanging around my my same old buddies and i just felt lost and i felt empty so i started going to church he said i went to church long story short Jesus got to my heart, the word got to my heart. I accepted him as my Lord and savior. He convicted me of all my sin, including that horrible sin of racism that I had been plagued with. And he said, when, 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 when God showed me, convicted me of that sin, as nauseous as I was when I would see interracial couples on campus, I was even more sick to my stomach when he showed that sin to me. You know why my friend Jonathan could tell me that story? It's because he knew that I was his brother who loved him and I wasn't going to judge him for his past. Because we had a personal relationship. We were brothers. We served God together. We loved each other. And, and that's what we have to do as God's people to lead the example for the rest of the world. Again, we're called to be his hands. We're called to be his feet. If, if, the, if, if God's people aren't going to get this right, the rest of the world will never get it right either. He is, and, and he's calling us to act, he's calling us to do it today. Don't be passive, don't let this moment slide. Don't let it get past us because the moment is now. It's, it's different this time around for whatever reason. In his name, we can do this if we're all on the same page. Not our page, but his page. In his name, let's take back the street. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. You You got
0: it? Thank you. Thank you. Coach Tony, Tony Dungy has written this, and it echoes exactly what Keith has said. Dungy writes, America is a very sad place today. We've seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the very people who are supposed to be protecting our citizens. We have seen people protest this death by destroying property and dreams of people in their own community, the very people they're interested in, they're protesting for. We have many people pointing fingers of blame and painting the opposite side with a broad brush. We have anger and bitterness winning out over logic and reason. We have distrust and prejudice winning out over love and respect. Dungy writes, What happened to George Floyd was inexcusable. It should never happen. Justice needs to be served. We are seeking justice. We cannot fall in the trap of prejudging every police officer we see. What started out as peaceful protest had developed into arson and looting. That should never happen. Yes, there should be protest, but we do not have licenses to perform criminal acts because we're angry. Today, we're a divided country. We're divided racially, politically, socioeconomically. Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. Well, what is the answer? I believe it has to start with those of us who claim to be Christians, We have to come to the forefront and demonstrate the qualities of the one we claim to follow, Jesus Christ. We cannot be silent. As Dr. King said many years ago, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We can't go forward with judgmental, bitter spirits. We need to be proactive, but to do it in the spirit of trying to help make things better, and it can't be just African-American churches, it must be all churches taking a stand and saying, we're going to be on the forefront of meaningful dialogue and meaningful change. We have to be willing to speak the truth in love. We have to recognize that we're not fighting against other people, we're fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. Coach Dundee echoed exactly what we just heard from Keith. So, We can talk a lot, but the Bible tells us very succinctly in Micah, we are to do justice and love mercy. Now, we love mercy. Most everybody loves mercy, but how do you do justice? In the face of many who feel there is racial injustice, economic injustice, social injustice. And the book of Amos says justice is to flow down like water. What do we do? What is the course that we take in the midst of an America that we are losing? We are losing Corona and now the riots. What do we do? What's the answer to that? Almost every one of us there have offered the pledge to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, we're not one nation today, under God, I would submit to you we are not under God as Americans today. We're not under God. Indivisible, that means nothing can divide us into groups and tribes and me and you and this group and that group. Indivisible with liberty, our liberty is being challenged and listen, justice for all. That defines rather clearly who we are to be as Americans, and we're not there by a long shot at this moment in our history. 200 times the word justice is mentioned in the Old Testament. It is a theme of what we are to be about. What do we do? There's something that we are to do And there's something that God will do. If we do this, God will do that. We read in Galatians that there are two groups of people. There's a war going on. A war between the flesh and the spirit. A war between the good guys and the bad guys. Paul spells it out. And then he goes on to say, this is what we are to do, our role, we are to put on, and he tells us there clearly in Galatians what we are to put on, Galatians 3. And then we read in Psalm 51, he says, what God will do, he will fill up. If we put on what? He will fill up our part, your part in action as we've already been challenged. And let's see the verse that we're so familiar with, but have we heard it and have we understood it? Because this verse tells us clearly what we are to do, and if we do this, God will do that. Let me give you the context of the verse. 2 Chronicles 7.14. We're familiar with it. Let me read the verse going into it. Now, the situation is the temple has been dedicated. Solomon has stood up. And this is what God says in response to the prayer of Solomon. The Lord appeared, verse 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon that night and said to them, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. God says, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. In other words, God is saying to us and to those there at that moment in history, if the bottom falls out, if there's an SOS moment, if there's a crisis in the land, God says, this is what you are to do, very clearly. This is what we are to do, and then he tells us the response to that is what he will do. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a time for humility among all of us. I've talked to so many people, and sometimes I've felt like that myself. I get this. I understand everything that's going on. But you still have those two cities among us two different perspectives, and we had to begin with humility. By the way, this is what we are to do. We go to the Lord, if the bottom is falling out, with all of the challenges we have, all the gross immoralities that we're seeing, we start off, if my people who are called by my name, is that virtually everybody in the sound of my voice? Not everybody. We're called by the name of God in Christ. We're Christians. We begin to do what we practice, we become humble. And by the way, what I'm doing, I'm building spiritual formations. You and I will never change unless we have spiritual formations in our life. We have to start right here with our life. We begin by humility. And he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and the next thing is to pray. We go to God, not asking, not telling. We go to God in humility, and we pray, and we listen to Him, and He will speak truth into you and speak truth unto me every single time. We humble ourselves before Him, and we pray. What else do we do? We seek His face. Now we're building a form here, notice, spiritual formation, a form. We seek His face, we go before Him. We don't just say those same little prayers. I hear adults saying prayers. They've uttered those prayers all their life, and they think they've prayed. When we seek his face, a freshness will come. Conviction will come. And I see things in my life at this time. People have helped me to see them, and you will see it too in your life. We humble ourselves. We go to him in prayer and we seek His face, and the next thing we do, we turn. We turn from our evil ways, and when we're building a spiritual formation in our life, we turn away from a lot of attitudes, a lot of addictions, a lot of things. We turn. That's the next thing we do. We pray, we seek His face, we turn. Now. You say, boy, this is a nice little thing. I see it. We have to practice it. This is what we we do. Know the difference in listening and hearing? This is something you and I can do if we want to begin to make a difference and do exactly what Keith has said. If we want to take back the streets, we want to make a difference, this is where we begin. It's spiritual formation. God says it very clearly. Humble ourselves, we pray, we seek his face, and we turn from any attitudes, any garbage, trash, addition, any prejudices and bigotry we might have in our life that maybe we didn't even know was there. Oh, yes. God whispers in secret places things we hadn't seen before. Now, that's what we do. Do you see it? Are you willing to do it? Not just one day, every day, put in practice, I've just sort of built it in my quiet time now, and God is doing wonderful things, challenging things in my life. Build that in and watch what happens to you. Now, that's our part. We're talking about doing something now, right? This is what we do. Are you willing to do that? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from attitudes their ways, How many are willing to put this into practice to do something? Are you willing to do it? Would you lift your hand right now? Don't do it because everybody else is. Some are not lifting their hands. That's all right. You're not willing to change. You're not willing to go for God. Almost everybody, hands down. Now, what will God do? If we do this, if the Bible is true, if it works every single time, you know what I've discovered? Every single time I put biblical principles into action, it's amazing how they always work. Have you not noticed that? Then you never put them into action. All right, this is where we are. Now, what is God's part? It says there in the scripture, he will first of all hear our prayers. He will forgive our sin and he will Heal us and heal our land. What do we need? What's the major word we need at this moment? Healing. Isn't that the operative word? Healing. This is how it works. Our part builds spiritual formation. He hears, he forgives, he heals me, he heals you, and we began to become a part and the active agent of healing our land and our America. Keith said last night something that was so important. He says clearly that if the church, this happens in the church, it'll be like lightning happening all around America. If America sees it's the body of Christ that is healing our land through your life and my life, it will spread all across this land in which we live. And it really, really will. So, where are we? Let me take you on a trip. I hope you wanna go. All of us, if we could, we'd pick us all up and somehow supernaturally we'd be dropped off in the middle of a swamp in the middle of a wooded area surrounded by thousands of miles of trees and we're all there together oh we're having a good time we're talking we're eating we we're having a celebration there in the middle of the jungle the woods the trees we came from many different ways but then all of a sudden Everything gets black, dark, no stars in the sky, no moon, darkness falls, no lights, and we're there together. And we say, how do we get out of here? We know we came in. We came in from the north and we went south. We get out by going back to the north. Which way is north? Well, we say, well, we all need to move. And this group over here says, north is this way. I've got a sense of direction. Oh, somebody back here says, oh, no, 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 no. North is that way. I know exactly how we came in. Somebody else over here says, no, north is is this way. You guys are totally turned around. And suddenly there's division about which way is north. Here we are. In total darkness, we know we came in here, and we have to get out by the north. Which way is north? Well, let's vote. <laughs> we just have to vote. How many think north is this way? How many think north is that way? How many think north is that way? And we vote, and you look around and say, well, the majority says it's that way. You want to go to the majority? How do we get out of here, folks? We may not can survive through the night. How do we decide? Oh, wait a minute. There's a guy back there who has a compass. He has a compass, but he hasn't said anything. He's let us scramble around here and have all of our opinions, and we're so strong and we know, and I have a sense of direction, and I. Let's look at the trees, see where the moss is, you know. But this guy's got a compass back here. All of a sudden, he stands up. He says, I don't want to upset this gathering or get anybody mad, but I've got a compass. And this compass points at true north every time I look at it. Now, I don't know who you want to believe in this challenge that we have. But as for myself, I'm going with a guy with a compass. What about you? Absolutely we are. And I have discovered in 50 plus years of reading and studying and being on the authority of this book that it is a true compass in every situations I have ever found myself and every time I've been lost because this compass tells us exactly what the body of Christ is to do. The church is the answer for America and the world in this time of history, in this crisis, People are listening. People are seeing as they've never listened and never seen before. Since I was last here, I had cataract surgery. One eye up close, one eye at a distance, and I'm telling you, I've been virtually blind all these years. (laughs) And as a friend over here told me the other week, I see colors. I didn't know how brilliant this window was. I didn't know, I I thought, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I got this suit out this morning. I thought this suit was a gray suit until this morning and it's brown. I didn't know that. (laughs) It's an eye-opening experience an eye-opening experience. And I pray that God has opened the eyes of you and the eyes of me. And we're able to see your role and my role as the body of Christ and we can take back lives. We can take back families in the name of Jesus Christ. We can take back political entities, we can take back churches and we can take back the streets, the body of Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we are to do. Build the formations. He does the healing in our lives and then we are to go out and I thought about he had sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his Judgment seat O oh, be swift my soul to answer him be jubilant my feet our god is marching on